This show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at Altizen.com. A-L-T-I-Z-E-N.com. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. In this episode, I speak to Carolina Melanesi from Creative Strategies and Techpinions. In the second part of our conversation, we discuss artificial intelligence and Internet of Things and how the major companies are approaching the technology through their own core competencies and where it is heading. Welcome back with me, Carolina Melanesi, Consumer Tech Analyst from Creative Strategies. And in the last episode, we talk about Huawei technologies and we talk about where they are in 2016 and where they will go in 2017. I'm going to shift gears a bit now and I want to talk to you about a subject that you're very familiar with and is about artificial intelligence and Internet of Things. I know we look at it at two separate parts, but I think a lot of people are not. But to start off with, how do you define artificial intelligence in a technological perspective? For me, the easiest way to think about it is artificial intelligence is when a machine, a device, a thing can behave and think similarly to a human being. And so it displays not just the, the intelligence part, but the proactiveness and all the, the behaviors of being able to do things without the user input, providing information or prompting information and facilitate features and actions without me asking the device to do it for me. Specifically, I also want to ask the same question on Internet of Things. What is your definition of Internet of Things then? Anything that is connected. So for me, IoT, Internet of Things, is about connectivity, is being connected to the network and providing a function that depends on that connectivity. So if I have a piece of technology, whether it's a smartphone, a home automation device such as an Amazon Echo or Google Home, how do I know that the AI is embedded within that? Well, if you went to CES, everybody was trying to tell you that AI was into the device. (laughs) You know I'm coming with that question, right? (laughs) So you didn't have to, you know, wonder if there was AI or not. But I think what it really boils down to is that you shouldn't think about it. From a user perspective, you shouldn't wonder, is it AI or not, if what you get out of the device is what you want, right? And and I think that there's a lot of confusion at the moment about what is AI. And, and there are people that say AI, but what they actually mean is virtual assistance. And that's only one part of it, right? And there's people that say AI and they mean, you know, autonomous driving with cars. And that's another part of it. But it's really, you know, anything that, as I said, that your device does for you from, you know, telling you how long it's going to take you to drive your daughter to school in the morning or when is your next appointment or anything like that, that you didn't have to teach the device. It just recognizes it from a pattern of things that you do from your behavior. That's what AI is. But really consumers shouldn't be wondering is AI inside or not. 
There are many efforts on AI currently applying machine learning, I think specifically more into deep learning because the amount of data that's been generated in the last decade has actually exponentially grown. I mean, when we think about that, we will think about Microsoft's Cortana, we think of Apple's Siri, Amazon's Alexa, of course with Google Home, and even I think their machine learning with search is very strong as well. And then now you also have in China, there is Baidu. I want to zoom into their competencies in this area and how they are approaching it. So maybe I will start off with Microsoft. Where do you see their competency in AI and where they are, how are they approaching it then? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the way that I think about it and the two things are related in my view, you know, the competence and, and the approach both go back to where are they strong and what is the core of their business? And if I look at Microsoft, the business side is, you know, what they, they're they good at. And then the core of the business is the cloud. So whatever they're going to be doing with AI is really about pushing their, their cloud and the back-end analysis that they can do. And then the server work and, and all of that. So if you think about, for instance, a product that they have now discontinued, which is the, the band. The band wasn't a great wearable device from a design perspective, but from a user point of view, what was key to that device was all the data that it was collecting. And then more important even was how much of the analysis that was done in the backend of that data. That was you know, what set the band aside from everybody else in the competition. So I think that that part of the cloud and the computational strength that, that Microsoft can have in making sense of the data. Now, their big problem is that Cortana is not in a phone, doesn't have, well, it is in a phone, but in a phone that nobody buys because, you know, Windows is not an operating system that has a lot of traction in the phone market. So Microsoft doesn't have you know, an army of phones out there similar to, to Amazon that can have Cortana learn from us every day. And so their biggest problem is trying to find out where do they need to put Cortana. That has pushed them to go across the board. And so now you have Cortana on an iPhone, you can have Cortana on an Android, but consumer don't necessarily go and find it right? They tend to use, if you are on Android, you use Google. If you're on Apple, you use Siri. So that's another problem that they have. In the home, the only presence that they have is the PC. And so that's, you know, that's where they're trying to show that Cortana is helpful. And then they have Office. That's another place where they can show that they have artificial intelligence, not maybe in a way that the consumer understand it, but you know, if you send me an email when we were trying to actually arrange the, the time for the podcast, you send me an email that had a date and a time and, you know, Outlook said there's an action. Do you want to set your calendar without me doing anything? I, I had not even read the email. You know, Outlook did that for me. That is artificial intelligence. So I think the core is that is is taking it from that office strength and then they need to work out how they're going to get Cortana more out there. I thought I should just add something interesting here. In my corporate day job, we're actually using Microsoft Dynamics. And it seems that they have also embedded the Cortana into the Microsoft Dynamics in terms of data analysis or you know CRM systems as well. Do you foresee, given that 
Microsoft's competence is with their enterprise and also the office. You see more of their artificial intelligence embedded into these systems then. Yeah, I do. I I think that is going to become more prevalent and and that's the whole part of what they've done, for instance, with Microsoft Teams, which is kind of a Slack, if you like, a competitor of, you know, there's a lot of AI there and Cortana is there. They're trying to put Cortana into Office, embedding it to create your appointment. So Cortana actually takes over. So back to my example of you and I deciding what time I could have just copied Cortana. So Cortana has her own email address. And Cortana would be the one coming to you and asking, well, Carolina is available on Wednesday. Does that work for you? I wouldn't have to do anything. So you'll see more of that. And I think the other part to alleviate, you know, the fact that Cortana is not so prevalent in, in the phone business and leverage the strength that they have on the business side has been the whole conversation as a platform. So, you know, Microsoft has been really bullish on bots and enabling bots to then talk to Cortana. So in a way, they are almost, you know, bypassing the limitation of Cortana not being so used by consumer by having consumer talk to bots and then have the bots talk to Cortana without me even knowing. And so that, you know, is helping gather the data, because that's, as you said at the beginning, this is where we are, right? We are still very much at the gathering of all the data and building that all the information that we'll need in the future to, to live this artificial intelligent life. Then what about Apple? I mean, their conduit is through the iPhone, Apple TV. So how Siri in terms of competence and also how they're approaching it will then? Yeah, Apple is an interesting one because I think it's probably the vendor that shows best how people look at Siri. That's where they stop when they think about artificial intelligence and, and Apple and they don't look at other parts of the device that are enabled by artificial intelligence, you know, maps being one, calendar being another. But Apple also started so early in the market with the, the whole digital assistant. And they're getting a lot of pushback at the moment because of two things. One, because Siri doesn't seem to be that smart to a lot of people. The second one, because there's a lot of people out there that in their analysis think that because Apple has such a strong privacy stand, Siri will never know as much as Google Assistant will know because Apple is keeping everything wrapped up and they're so privacy conscious. And I think that both are not quite true. One, if you have been using Siri since the very beginning, Siri has come a long way. Is it as smart as we would want a digital assistant to be? No. I think that the biggest problem that Siri has is that it's very screen dependent. So because it started with a phone, voice recognition has improved. Apple has been able to train now Siri so that it only responds to me when I say, hey, Siri, not to somebody else who says, hey, Siri, which is very important. But a lot of when you ask questions that are not just simple questions, the only way the Siri responds to you is by pulling up a search result and you need to go back to your phone, which kind of defeats the purpose of a voice first kind of interaction. But the strength, I think, for Apple is about knowing me as an individual. So I think that if you look at, for instance, the combination of AirPods and 
iPhone or AirPods and Apple Watch. I was describing as, you know, in movies when you have like a famous person that has the secretary next to them at a dinner party, right? And they say, oh, this person, this is Bernard. He does Analyze Asia. You met him in 2016, you know, just before the person walks up to you and say, oh, hi, Bernard, I listen to your podcast all <laughs> every week. You know, that's kind of what Siri is, is that is that assistant that whispers in your ear all the time. And, and with AirPods, that is now capable. It can happen. But do you really want to wear AirPods all the time when you're in your home? No. And and I think Apple TV, although is is growing, has still a very small base. Um, you know, even in the US, where is the most popular market, you're still talking at a, a smaller base than Amazon Echo. So you know, it, that's the 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 big question is: Does Apple need to? create more of a home personal assistant versus Siri being my own personal assistant. And and that's what Amazon did. And that comes to Amazon. I mean, Amazon have the Echo through Alexa. And I think one thing that a lot of people don't think about AI from Amazon's viewpoint is AWS because they have the cloud computing power. I think they have done a lot in that space. How do you see their competency and how they are approaching it then? I think you're spot on that AWS is the core. And, you know, going back to what I said at the beginning, look at where the business for these vendors is, you know, for Microsoft is the cloud, for Apple is the devices, and that's what they care about the business. For for Amazon, there are two. One is obviously the, the retail side, and the other one is AWS. And with that, we've gone from, Echo and everybody thinking that all uh, you know Amazon wanted to do was just to sell you a device that was voice first and then you were going to buy more stuff from Amazon to actually come up with a platform a platform that enables other devices and other vendors all vendors that will then be more embedded with with Amazon from an AWS perspective and they're creating I actually wrote a piece this morning for Tech Pinions talking about this platform that Amazon is creating, giving the opportunity and to partners to have an alternative to Google, you know, for all the vendors that want to come up with with a, a device that not only speaks to Alexa, but now has Alexa inside, that's an option. You know, talking about Huawei earlier, their uh, phone coming to the US will have Alexa inside. And, and this is a, you know, a vendor that is in the Android ecosystem. They could have done Google Assistant instead, but they're going with, with Alexa. We will take an advertisement break for the moment. Innovation and value generation remained at the forefront of the fourth edition of the IoT Asia Conference, which returns on the 29th to 30th of March at the Singapore Expo Exhibition Halls. Join the three-track conference to learn about the latest developments and initiatives from top leaders and leading lights in the field. Use the code IOT7AASIA to get a 10% discount off the conference rates except academy. Coming back. So that comes to Google then, which I think is probably very advanced with artificial intelligence and mainly through their search engine. And I guess now with Google Home and also through Android to a certain extent. Where do you see Google then? Well, Google has a lot of data, right? That's their big strength. They're very good 
uh, for instance, you know, being Italian, I can speak to my Google Home in Italian and ask him to translate. And the translation is spot on. It's really good. They even have a voice that has, you know, an Italian speaker. So those are the kind of things that they do, but they are coming from the search side. So what has been fascinating for me, having, you know, both Alexa and Google Home is to see the strength of both and I always go to Google Home when I have a proper search question. So if it's something that I would actually go into, you know, Google browser and, and find my answer versus I go to Alexa for tasks. And that's how I just naturally not thinking about it, how I find myself gravitating. The problem, I think, comes to the fact that when is voice first, search is different. And I think that's the part where, you know, Google still has to put a lot of work. There was a big outcry at the very beginning of Google Home because somebody asked Google Home, hey, Google, are women all evil? And Google Home came back and said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and now we can debate if that's true or not. But what was interesting was that actually the reason why they, that was the answer was that it was the top result of the search. So if you actually went and did a search on a browser, that's what you would get. That was the first answer. But when I have it on a screen, I can go through different ones and I choose the one that for me is the best answer, right? Or is closer to the, the, the question I asked. But when you don't have that option, and you all only have the device choosing the option for you, that becomes more difficult. And I think that's where there's a lot of, of effort that needs to go in. And then there's the whole part of, you know, from a consumer perspective, the awareness of how much Google knows about you and how they use their data. And so the privacy part, you know, as much as could be a limitation for Apple, you know, are consumers prepared to share as much as they are with Google? I thought one more thing that's interesting about Google is the self-driving cars side. I mean, they also have the artificial intelligence to understand cars too. So would they be sort of in the prime position for the competencies of AI into car and approach it through the cars? Well, I think, you know, there are a lot of vendors out there that are into AI and cars in different ways. I think that we tend to get excited because Google actually has cars, physical cars, but it doesn't mean that everybody that wants to be into cars has to have a car. You know, there are different ways of uh, going about this. And, and I think that there are vendors, if you look at Samsung, for instance, and, and their acquisition lately of not just Viv, from a, an assistant perspective, but then the acquisition that they did with Armand Cardon, you know, that is an important step into the car business, but they want to be inside the car, not necessarily build the car. Then I wanted to ask you about a Chinese company called Baidu, yes. which is the Google of China. And yeah. I think they have very good AI capabilities as well. Where are their competencies and how are they approaching it as well? Yeah, I'm not as familiar with them as I, I am with the other vendors, but I know that they have done a lot in, in AI. They have their own research facilities. They are very aggressive on the whole self-driving car part. I, I would say I'll go back to you know what I was saying earlier about the biggest limitations, if you like, that Chinese-grown companies have is that international part and you know, especially if you're trying to go in, in other markets like the U.S. being, the, you know, the other large market that is not as 
you know, going to Europe is hard, right? Because Europe itself is big, but then you have all the different countries. And so it means that from a language perspective, regulation perspective. So America is where you look at, especially with the current very negative rhetoric from a political agenda that is going on here in America. I wonder how more difficult it's going to be for companies that are trying to come to the US, especially when you're talking about critical stuff like artificial intelligence. Actually, I thought I just have to add, I've interviewed Andrew Ng from Baidu Research. He's the head of Baidu Research and he actually did a lot of work in deep learning. He's a kind of authority in deep learning and he was also formerly worked for Google X as well yes. in the earlier. So I think he's being part of the AI effort. I think we've also recently Chilu, who is the former Microsoft guy in services, have now moved to Baidu as the COO. He has, is also a strong tech guy. So maybe there may be things that are interesting. And also Baidu's research is actually inside the US and some part only some parts of it is in China. But coming back to the CES, because I know after the CES you wrote an article about artificial intelligence has taken over the acronym of where the Internet of Things have occupied. How do you come to that conclusion? I mean Ben mentioned in the last episode, so I thought it would be great to just ask you here. Yeah, it was interesting kind of walking around CES to have, you know, if I go back a couple of years, everything was about the devices being connected. That's what IoT was about, right? So everybody was talking about IoT and, oh, my device is connected. And this year it was about, oh, forget about connectivity. That doesn't matter anymore. My device is smart. And everybody was really talking about artificial intelligence in a very loose way right? They were very generous in what they were considering artificial intelligence. But that was the core. And and I was thinking that from a, an industry perspective, you know, IoT was never sexy with the consumer, right? It, it's not like something that your normal consumer out there would necessarily know and talk about. But from an industry perspective, we've been talking about IoT for so many years now that maybe there was a little bit of fatigue. The industry, especially the marketeers, wanting to move on and make it sound like it was new and, and fresh. And so we got to AI. But, you know, in my in the article that you mentioned, I was warning vendors to not doing AI washing, you know, to talk about AI so much for things that are not actually AI, that it would do two things. One, diminish what they actually doing with their devices today. And then the other one to have consumer not think that actually what they're doing is that smart. And so dismiss AI by the time we actually have it. What is interesting is artificial intelligence and Internet of Things are both technologies that are usually embedded within devices or in spaces that actually enable connectivity, communication and interaction. So I wanted to ask this question using the Ghana hype cycle perspective. <laughs> Do you think that they're both still in the stage of inflated expectations in the cycle? I think AI definitely is. I think IoT is coming down towards the trough now. I think we've been, you know, over that hump at the very top and we're coming on the other side because I think, you know, there, there's a lot of reality there. There's a lot of things that are now connected that are from wearables to the phones, to smart cities, to cars, not in the self-driving part of it, but you know, the, there, there's a lot of this, the, sorry, the self-driving not, but my car parks itself. You know, that's one, one thing. So there's a lot of realities out there. And I think that people are definitely more realistic about what they need. And reality is that without Internet of Things, we wouldn't have AI. 
you know, and, and that's what it is. You need things to be connected to gather data and information so that you can make AI happen. Is as simple as that. Carolina, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. I really enjoyed this hour conversation with you on both Huawei, AI and Internet of Things. So help my audience, how do they find you? Well, thank you for having me, first of all. I, I hope I'll, I'll come back. And your audience can find me on Twitter at caro underscore milanese. That is C-A-R-O underscore M-I-L. A-N-E-S-I. And you also we can read your work in Tech Pinions and Creative Strategies. Absolutely. As a, yes, and I'll put yep. a link to that. And you're definitely coming back. <laughs> you can find me at bleongcw.bernardleong.com. Subscribe to us at Analyze Asia, A-N-A-L-Y-S-E, Asia. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Acast, TuneIn, and of course, Google Play, only in the US market. Tweet to me, recommend me on Overcast, give me a five-star rating on iTunes, and of course, give me any comments, feedback, and who you want to get on the show. Once again, Carolina, thank you for coming on the show. It was a pleasure. Thank you.